Thank you. Thank you, Katie, and uh, good morning. Um, as Katie mentioned, we, uh, Pastor Jack and I, we uh, went to go visit our, our partners in, um, in Ireland. Um, we got a chance to connect with our friends there. A lot, a lot of great things are happening. Uh, churches are being planted, and God is at work um, among the brothers and sisters in Ireland. We went to Albania. Albania is another, is a new partner or potentially a new partner. Uh, again, this church of 140 people, they planted seven churches around the, um, uh, the Albania area and uh, just amazing to see what God is doing. Uh, we got a chance to visit um, Geza and Ildiko. For some of you, those names don't mean anything, but a lot of other you, those names mean a lot because Geza went to Michigan State he and his wife, Ildiko, and then they went back to plant a church in, um, in Budapest, and uh, Rose Garden is doing very, very well, and, um, and so very, super excited. They're close to 80 years old, and they just led three couples to Jesus, and they're discipling them in their home. Amazing, amazing. And then we, uh, we were able to go to uh, Romania to visit our good friend, Pastor Jolt. Some of you remember him. He was the first uh, person who um, we had to actually translate for preaching a message. And the work down there in Romania is, uh, is great. And so we'll have more to say about that in days to come. But uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for following us as we, uh, we made our way um, through uh, visiting our partners. And uh, we're, again, just... Super stoked about what God is doing um, uh, in, in the world, not just here in our church, not just here in the U.S., but literally around the world. The gospel is being advanced, uh, for which we are super, super grateful. Uh, for, um, for some of you, we, uh, for the last several weeks, um, actually the last several months, we've been actually walking through the book of Titus. We did a topical study. Uh, we, we've been doing a topical study, but in this last several weeks, we've taken a chunk um, and we start, we've started talking about doctrine. And doctrine is a $75 word for teaching. And where we get that from um, is from Titus chapter 2. And you don't have to turn there. I just simply want to read it. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So Paul is telling this, this young pastor by the name of Titus, I want you to teach, and when you teach, I want you to teach in a healthy way. I want you to teach what people need to know about uh, the, the, the teachings of the church. And so he says, I want you to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And so over the last several weeks, we've talked about creation. What do we believe about creation? Um, we talked about what we believe about what happened to creation, which is the fall, and we talked about redemption. That is, what does it look like for God to begin to restore what was broken? And who did he send to do it? Uh, we, uh, Dave talked a little bit about that last week. He talked about Jesus being Savior and Messiah. And this week we get a chance to talk a little bit more about uh, important doctrines we need to hold on to. Because what we believe actually uh, flows, uh, flows into how we live our lives and what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about God is super important 
in the way we end up living our lives. If you build your life on something that's unstable, you build your life on something that is not sound doctrine, sound teaching, then the, the, the application will also be flimsy as well. And so today we're going to talk about a very, very important um, teaching in Scripture, something that we must build our lives on. Now, I believe that if you're anything like me, at some point uh, in your life, as well as mine, um, you've wondered whether all of your sins have truly been forgiven. I mean, we talk about it, we, do, we talk about communion, and we wonder if our sins have, uh, all of our sins have been totally and genuinely forgiven. You say, well, maybe God, God is going to, he's going to, that one thing I didn't confess, he's going to bring it up and he's going to allow, he's going to make that haunt me. Those past sins will haunt me. And yet I believe that we can know that Jesus has actually forgiven our sins. There are people in this room and people who are watching online, maybe you've not been able to make progress in your adventure with Jesus because you've wondered whether or not all of your sins have been forgiven. I also believe that many believers wonder if Jesus is with them in their temptation and pain and suffering. You wonder if Jesus is actually with you when you lose a child. You actually wonder if Jesus is with you when you are at the doctor and the doctor gives a negative report. And some in this room, you wonder whether Jesus is truly uh, uh, with you in the temptation to your temptations of doubting your faith. You wonder whether Jesus is with you when you experience divorce or when a loved one dies. I know I have. I've wondered that, and I wonder whether Jesus was actually present. And yet, I believe that you and I can actually know, number one, that our sins are forgiven completely, and that Jesus is actually sympathizing and identifying with every single one of us in no matter what we go through, but it only happens when we believe. Two powerful, mysterious truths, incredible truths that you and I uh, that, that I think will help us to understand and embrace it. Here's the first truth. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. Now, this is, this is not anything new. The early church actually wrestled with this, and they wrestled with this idea, and there were groups that actually arose to, to actually def, try to defeat this idea that Jesus is truly God. One group actually, they just simply said that Jesus is a good teacher, he is a good man, but they denied his deity. But that group typically, that group uh, quickly faded away. There's another group that arose during the, the early church, and they believed that Jesus was adopted by the Father at his baptism, and he then became the Son of God at his baptism. There's another group that arose that probably was more significant during this time, and that is they just simply said that Jesus was unlike the Father. They rejected his deity, 
And they simply said that he was divine, but he was not equal to the Father. And a group in our, our present day kind of swims in that stream, and that is Jehovah's Witnesses. They swim in that stream. So Jesus is fully God, and so, uh, so they, the, the early church wrestled with this, and they struggled with this, and so that's the reason they had to call a council, the council called Nicaea in 325, to resolve this issue, and it was resolved. And they confirmed that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and you can see it in the language of the creed. Uh, It says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. He's eternal. He does not have a starting point. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. We're going to understand the implications of this in a few minutes, but we have to establish this point that Jesus is fully God. Now, near the end of the creed, this is what it says. This is so important. It was so important to the early church, and it's so important for us now. It says, those who say that there was a time when he was not, that is, Jesus had a beginning, and who say that he was not before he was made, that is, he had a start in time, or he was made out of nothing. Again, he is created a created being like any other being, or he is of another substance or essence, or the Son of God is created or changeable or alterable, they, listen to that, they are condemned by the Holy Church. These individuals did not pull any punches. In other words, if you deny Jesus, that he, you deny that Jesus was fully, uh, was full deity, then you really were not a Christian. This first truth, that Jesus is fully God. So Marvin, is there any biblical evidence to support that Jesus is fully God? I'm going to tell you this is, this is so important because what you build your life on, what we build our life on, it actually shows up in the way we live our lives. So is there biblical evidence? Well, yes, there is. I'm glad you asked. So Jesus is actually called God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and here it is, and the Word was God. Now, John declares that the Word, and all through the Gospel of John, we recognize the Word being Jesus, and John starts off this Gospel with Jesus is the Word, thus Jesus is God. Jesus is called God. There's another passage in Romans chapter 9, verse 5. This is when Paul is talking about the ancestry of Messiah. And this is what he says. He says, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praise, amen. Who is the Messiah? Okay, thank you. That's it. Who is the Messiah? Jesus is the Messiah. And this text says Jesus, the Messiah, is God. So Jesus is called God. He is fully God because, first, we see in the text, he's called God. 
But a second reason we believe this is that Jesus claimed equality with God. He claimed equality with God. Listen to John chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, if there was a misunderstanding, Jesus could have easily said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I am not saying that I'm equal with God. I am not saying any of that. I am just simply, please don't get it wrong. And yet Jesus says there's no misunderstanding. He could have easily said, I'm not claiming equality with God, and yet we see that he recognized what they were claiming. He recognized equality with God. Here's another one, John chapter 10, verses 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 30 through 33, says, I, this is Jesus speaking, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So Jesus claimed equality. He could have easily said, whoa, you misunderstanding me. I didn't, I didn't really say that. You know, intent versus impact and that sort of thing. That's not really what I was talking about. And yet... He just simply accepts the recognition of who he is, and that is God. But here's the third reason we believe that Jesus is God. Please hold on, because it's important for us to believe this, because what you and I build our lives on is the way we will actually live our lives. Jesus fulfills, here's the third, Jesus actually fulfills divine functions. He he actually does what only God does. He, he does the things that are attributed to God. Listen to John chapter 5, verse, chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus, right here, this text says it's only only God who can give life, only God who can raise from the dead. And yet the Father has given authority to the Son as God, and Jesus himself, he actually gives life. He raises individuals from the dead. Only God does that, and we see Jesus actually doing it. But not only that, we see in Mark chapter 2, verses 5 and 7 and 10, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus is a healing a paralytic man, a man who could not walk. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. This is what they're saying. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the, paral- he said to the paralytic, pick up your bed and go home. And so we see here, only God forgives sins. Jesus forgives sins. We can see in this passage that Jesus is fully God. 
It's inferred that Jesus is fully God. But there's another. There's another. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39 and 41, uh, we see that the disciples and Jesus are on their way to across the lake. And while they're on their way, they, a storm arose. Now, Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. And the disciples are afraid. They are, they are literally afraid out of their minds. They're terrified. And so they go to wake Jesus up in the back of the boat. Jesus, wake up. Aren't you, don't you care that we're going to perish? Have you ever asked God that question? Aren't you, Jesus, God, don't you care about what's happening to me? So Jesus woke up, and this is what it says. And he woke, awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, here it is, who then is this? In other words, what they're saying, this is not just an ordinary man. This is more than a man. This is more than a prophet. This is more than a teacher. They said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They knew in the first century only God could stop the weather. Only God could change the weather. And here it is, Jesus in the boat, standing on the boat, saying, peace, be still. They were in the presence of God not just another man. So here's a fourth and final reason. There, there are so many in Scripture, but I'm only giving you four. And here's the, the fourth one. Jesus is included in the Trinity. The Trinity is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All throughout Scripture, particularly the New Testament, there's uh, these Trinitarian form, formulas uh, where we see in Scripture Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, put together in this complex, mysterious unity. And we see it throughout the scripture. And you would not put these together if they did not have the same stature. You don't put oranges and oranges and an apple together. You don't put apples and apples and an orange together. You put apples and apples and apples together and oranges and oranges and oranges together. Kind of sounds like I want to do a rhyme, like, 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 give me a beat, somebody. No, I'm just kidding. And, and yet we see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, and we just experienced this a couple of weeks ago when Ben was baptizing. He baptized them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14 when Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, talking about the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When we put all of this together, we must declare that Jesus is fully God. Hold tight because it's important for us to believe that Jesus is fully God. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He's the author of Mere Christianity who was once an atheist. And he read the New Testament and came to know Jesus as Savior. And well, this, listen to what he says. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. 
That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic or a fiend. And consequently, however strange and terrifying and unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So Jesus is fully God. We have to hold on to that truth. It's not just a moral teacher. It's not just a good prophet. It's not just a great human being. Jesus is God. That's the first big truth we have to hold on to. Secondly, that Jesus is fully human. Whoa, I, I, I can't, my mind is too small to wrap, uh, wrap it around that Jesus is fully God and he is fully human. And yet the Bible says the both are true. Listen to what the, um, there are a number of reasons we believe that Jesus is fully human. And here's one reason, Jesus was called a man. He was actually called a man. And scripture seems to represent this. Look at, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And this is Peter on the day of Pentecost. He is preaching to the Jews. He says, men of Israel, hear these these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So we see right away that Peter calls Jesus a man. Now, so well, 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 that's Peter. Well, Jesus actually calls himself human. Listen to the text. This is John 8, 40. It says, but, um, but, you, uh, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So Jesus, in fact, himself says, I'm human, fully God, fully human. Jesus was called a man. But not only that, Jesus actually had human characteristics. He had human characteristics. Listen to Luke chapter 24, verse 39. This is post-resurrection. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus has physical parts of a human body that you and I might have. Jesus is human. He had emotions. He, he, 
He, he had hu- emotions that are distinctly human. There are many passages that talks about Jesus' emotions. But here are two passages in John chapter 11. It says, when Jesus saw, this is after his good friend Lazarus has died, and Jesus goes to the tomb three days after his death. And when Jesus saw Mary weeping, or her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then here's the shortest verse in the Bible. If you want to memorize a scripture, you want to memorize scripture, here's, you can start right here. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He wept like you and I weep when we're at a funeral. Jesus wept like you and I weep when we lose someone or something. He wept like you and I weep when we seemingly can't solve a problem. He weeps when you and I, he wept like you and I weep when the pain is so great. So Jesus had human characteristics. Here's another. Jesus had human needs. He had human needs just like you and I. After Jesus, um, after his baptism, Jesus was uh, led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and after f- fasting 40 days and 40 nights, this is 40 nights, this is what Matthew 4 and 2 says, he was hungry. Again, notice his human nature. He was hungry. Human beings who don't eat for a period of time get hungry, and Jesus got hungry. He didn't pretend to be hungry. He wasn't faking. It's like, oh, I'm not really hungry. He was actually hungry because he's a human being as well. Listen to John 4, 6, and 7. Again, this is is Jesus uh, getting ready to have a conversation with a woman at the well. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied, wearied. Human beings get wearied. Human beings get tired after a long day of work as he uh, he was wearied as he was from his journey. He was sitting beside the well, and it was about... The sixth hour, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He was thirsty. So Jesus is not only fully God, he is fully human. He actually had human experiences just like you and me. He was born just like you and me. Uh, he had to be, we, we can see his birth narratives in Luke and Ma- Matthew and Luke. And I think sometimes we forget the fact that Jesus was actually born and that he didn't didn't come out of the womb talking about, hey, what's up, y'all? He he didn't come out of the womb with with religious instruction to his parents. He He actually was an infant like you and I, and he grew, infant Jesus grew to be a child Jesus, and child Jesus grew to be adolescent Jesus, and adolescent Jesus actually grew to be human Jesus or adult Jesus. So, 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 so sometimes I think we forget that Jesus grew emotionally and spiritually and socially. Listen to what Luke chapter, five, Luke chapter 2 verse 52 says. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is mysterious. 
and amazing. Mysterious and amazing. Listen to what John Chrysostom, he's the, he was the Archbishop of Constantinople and early church father. I love this. He, he kinds of puts the two together in a unique and powerful way. This is what he says. I do not think of Christ as God alone or man alone, but both together. For I know he was hungry, and I know that with five loaves he fed 5,000. I know he was thirsty, and I know that he turned the water into wine. I know that he was carried in a ship, and I know that he walked on the sea. I know that he died, and I know that he raised the dead. I know that he was set before Pilate, and I know that he sits with the Father on his throne. I know that he was worshipped by angels, and I know that he was rejected by the Jews. And truly, some of these I ascribe to the human and others to the divine nature. By reason of this, he is said to have been both God and man. Fully God, fully man. A mystery, but truth. All right, Marvin, so thanks for the theology, theology lesson. Um, so what does this have to do with me, nine to five, every day of my life? What does it have to do with me when I'm changing diapers? What does it have to do with me when I am faced with a boss at work who cannot stand me? Well, let's start with the divine or the deity. Jesus is fully God. First, here's the implication. Why is this important? First, salvation begins with God. Now, uh, salvation begins with God. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me help us to understand because there are individuals who are here this morning, who are watching online, who are in our world, who think they can save themselves. They, they think they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. If I just try hard enough, if I just do a little bit more, then God will somehow accept me. And God says, wait a minute, I want you to understand you have nothing to do with your salvation. It was instituted. It was initiated by me. I saw you couldn't save yourself. You were trapped in a downward spiral of sin, and I recognized you couldn't get out by yourself. So I I sent my son. I initiated love. I initiated the rescue. I initiated salvation. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with my love. It had everything to do with me being God who wants a relationship with humanity. So first, salvation, rescue is initiated by God. And the reason that's important because if I could save myself, guess what? I get the credit. But if God initiates it and he saves me out of my sin, when I look at what I was and what I am now, he alone gets the credit for saving me. So first, the implication, salvation begins with God and not me. Here's the second Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
He is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He is complete. He is sufficient. He is enough. One human being could perhaps die for another human being. But show me a human being that can take on the sins of the entire world. There is no such person. He has to be God because a God, a God, with God, a God has to have broad shoulders to take my lying and your lying and your pride and my pride. Only a God can do that. And so Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and he's able to take on all of our sin. Past present and future. Nothing is left out. When you, what you did when you were five years old, the cross actually forgives that. When, whatever you did when you were 20 years old, the cross actually forgives that. What you thought a long time ago, the cross actually forgives that. Jesus is God. Why? We know the word says it, but he is the only one who can handle your sins and mine and the sins of the entire world. I can barely handle my own sins trying to handle somebody else's. I need a God and you need a God that can handle all of our mess, all of our junk. And guess what? Jesus did it. He did it. He did it. Thirdly, it justifies, Jesus being God, justifies our worship of him as our king. It justifies our worship of him as our king. You and I don't give worship to a man. We don't give worship to a woman. We give worship to someone who is enthroned in heaven. We give our worship, we give our sacrifice, and we give our surrender to someone who is actually worthy of it. And the last time I checked, nobody in this room deserves my worship, deserves your worship, other than the one who died, the one who was buried, the one who rose again, and is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you and me. He deserves our worship. He deserves our worship. I don't care if you can't sing, open your mouth and worship him. I don't care if you sound like a broken record. He deserves every ounce of your praise. He deserves every ounce of your bowing down to him. He deserves every penny of your check. Why? Because he is worthy of it. He deserves the excellency of your work at, at your job because he is worthy of it. He deserves every hand clap. He deserves every bowing down. He deserves every quiet and still obedience because he's worthy. He died and rose again. And when you have somebody who died and rose again, I'm following that guy. I'm following him. So it justifies our worship 
of Jesus as our king. It justifies it. So when we sing amazing grace, my chains are gone. It's because Jesus is worthy of our worship. Now, if your chains are not gone, you can't sing that song. But if your chains are gone, if you were once a sinner, but now you are a friend, you ought to sing, worthy is his name. And so just it justifies our worship of him. And finally, Jesus fully understands and sympathizes with our pain and our temptations. Because he is both God and human, particularly on the human side. He experienced temptations just like you and me. He experienced rejection from his friends like you and me. He experienced opposition like you and me. He experienced suffering and loss like you and me. He experienced rejection from his family like you and me. All sorts of things like these are not only our experience, experiences, but his as well. We know that we can go into pain and temptation with the confidence that Jesus not only understands, but he is present with us. Listen to Tracy Howell, Tracy Howell, uh, Tracy Howell of Leonard, Texas, found a unique way of showing her, her love for her husband, both uh, showing her husband both love and her fellowship in his daily life. So she posted this not too long ago. Clifford and I have been married almost 41 years, and I have made his lunch every working day since day one. On occasion, I would join him on the job site and have lunch with him. He made the comment once that lunch tastes better when you share it with someone you love. Soon after that, while fixing his sandwich one night, I took a bite out of it before putting it away. When he got home long before cell phones, he commented that someone had taken a bite out of his sandwich. I told him that since I couldn't join him for lunch, I took a bite so he knew I was joining him. I continue to do this frequently unless it's tuna or pimento cheese. <laughs> and he still says, I saw that you joined me for lunch today, and it was sure good. Tracy wanted her husband to know that she isn't just thinking about him. She's actually joining him, joining him in his daily experiences. She's with him. She's taking a bite out of whatever struggles or hardship he encounters. She's sharing a meal to fellowship with him in his victories and his triumphs. In this little simple gesture, she is communicating to him that we are together in all of this. It's fellowship on the deepest level. And Jesus being human, fully God, fully human, 
is him letting us know, um, him taking a bite, a bite out of death, out of pain, out of temptation, out of suffering, so that to let us know on a daily basis, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're going through, that I am with you. At the deepest level of fellowship, I am with you. When you're changing a diaper, when you are sleepy and you have nothing left, when the boss says that your work doesn't matter, I want you to know that Jesus says, I am with you. When you lose the job, I am with you. When you lose a loved one, I am with you. He takes a bite out of everything we experience to remind us that he's with us in our joys, in our sorrows, in our blessings, in our burdens, in our struggles, in our temptations. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Fully God, fully man. Our sins are forgiven, and he is present with us in all that we go through. Thus, he is worthy of everything we have. We build our lives not on a flimsy Jesus, not on a flannel graph Jesus. We build our lives on a Jesus who is God, who still works miracles, who is still multiplying loaves, who is still raising the dead. And we, wor we worship this God who is also man who comes near to us in deep pain and suffering. So what I want us to do, what I want us to do, what I want us to do, I want us to actually sing to Jesus as if he is worthy of all of our worship. Forget the person who's sitting next to you like, like what are they going to think? They're going to think I'm, they're going to think I, like, they're going to find out that I can't sing. Everybody knew you couldn't sing anyway. But guess what? You're not singing to them. You are singing to the God of the universe. His name is Jesus. You're singing to the one who sits with you and cries with you. The person next to you did not die for you. They did not raise from the dead for you. But the one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us, that's the one we're singing to. So if you want to sing as loud as you want to, then go ahead. If you want to bow before our king, then go ahead. If you want to raise your hands, then go ahead. Guess what? Nobody cares but him. Nobody's looking at you but him. It is the motive of your heart to the one who is king, the one who is worthy of everything we have. His name is Jesus, fully God, fully man. You build your life on that, 
not on a man who is a good prophet and a good teacher, but the one who is God and the one who is man joined together, who died for our sins, rose again from the dead. Let's worship him together. Let's worship him together. If you want to stand, you can. If you want to sit, you can. If you want to bow, you can. Whatever you desire to do, it is your worship to our King. To our King. To our King. Do, 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 we, do we got time for this? Do we got, do we got a little time for this? The worship team is going to lead us, and, and I just simply want you to surrender to him. Offer your worship to him. Offer your words to him from a pure heart, a heart that is motivated by love to God, not, by, not based on what my words, I know I just gave you some words, but, but I want you to do it because you love him. And he is worthy of all we have.
So yeah, God, thank you for this holy moment. This holy moment should change us, God. We, we don't sing because it's just the thing to do. We sing <clears throat> and our words, our hearts are lifted up to the one who is king. King of kings and Lord of lords and every, at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us how to obey. Thank you for praying for us even now. We pray that as we remember all that you went through during this week, we would take time to reflect and worship. Slow down so that we might take in the reality of who you are. Fully God, fully human. Our minds cannot wrap, uh, our, we, we cannot wrap our minds around it, but our only response is gratitude. Our only response is awe and worship. So I pray that you would bless us and keep us Cause your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Turn your face toward us and give your people your peace. For it is in the mighty and matchless and worthy and majestic name of Jesus we pray. All of God's people said together, amen. God bless you. God bless you, Trinity Church, we love you. And we'll see you here on Friday and Sunday. If you have a need, we have elders and um, prayer team members and deacons down front. If you want someone to pray with you, please come forward. Thank you.